Six pack lap it at. We got Rory the linchpin. And on this episode, we're going to take a look at some statistics. The Junior World Championships just took place, and we saw some crazy performances. World records fell, and some nations seemed to be on the rise. We all know in the classic, and we're just talking about the classic division. We all know in the classic, Team USA is a juggernaut. It's a powerhouse. But the juniors this year, Team France won both men and women's division. And we have some questions, don't we, Rory? Some questions we need to get to. If we look at this year, yesteryear, the juniors, the sub-juniors, the open, is Team France now emerging as the powerhouse in powerlifting? How about Spain? How about Italy? What's going on with Singapore? Wow. Wasn't that surprising? Number five overall, and as halfway through, was resting in second place. Now, they didn't have the larger gentleman in there to keep that, and they fell a little bit, but just down still top five, Singapore, that's huge. Uh, so we're going to investigate and let the numbers do the talking. We're also going to take a look at some of the standout performances that we saw at the Junior World Championships and take a look how they compare to those in the Open currently and of yesteryear. And uh, it's some of these people are absolute outliers. And yes, yes, we got some stars in the making and, and it's a little bit startling. Um, this, our recap show for juniors division by division recap is going to be coming later. This isn't going to be that show. This show, we're going to take a look at some of these performances and take a look at some of the trends and attempt to dissect and take a look at what we're what we're seeing here, Rory, because we're seeing a lot. And we're going to start, I believe, with some of the highlight performances, the outliers from the Junior World Championships. Right, sir? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So one of the gentlemen I got booked for the podcast and somebody everyone's talking about, 17-year-old hams up from Austria in the 105s. This gentleman, 17 years old in the 105s, Went six for nine, and he was missing lifts. If he tightens up on his attempt selection, because he made some big jumps, particularly last deadlift, he tightens up a little. Oh, wow, what are we talking about? And he could do what he did because he was lifting, with all due respect to the other sub-junior 105s, relatively unopposed. Well, I guess so. If you're 17, totaling 836.5. You're not, you're not going to get a lot of sub juniors in the world who are going to be able to contend with him. I got news for you. You're going to have a hard time finding juniors who are going to contend with him like that. So he's relatively on the pose and he's making, taking big risks, big jumps. But if he had to tighten up, totally conceivable, he could have left that day with an 850. Let's see what he does at the Euros. But how does he do comparatively to yesteryear? At 17 years old, if we take his total, if you're wondering, if we jump back to 2019, this is pre-COVID era, whole different era. Wow, did we not know what was coming, Rory? 2019 World Championships, Eli Burks won the gold medal with 855 kilos. Silver medal and bronze, both 840 kilos and tie broken on body weight. Hamza. 
36.5. He would have been just off podium. And if he was fighting for podium, he would have been doing some different attempt selection, like I already said. Bet your bottom dollar on that one. Um, now, that's a bit of an off year. I'll admit, previous years, Verzbecki, Christoph Verzbecki from Poland has posted up 885. Bryce Lewis in the mix, 870 for a silver. So, Hamza wouldn't have been, you know, in contention or close to possibly winning on the year where you got Bryce Lewis and Verzbecki. But still, he would have been roughly around top five if he tightened up on that attempt selection. And that is absolutely crazy for a 17-year-old. I mean, this coming out of Austria, how is this possible? What's going, what's going on there? Obviously, Malik from France. Um, junior, he became the, the lightest junior ever to total 800 kilos last year as an 18 year old. Now he's 19. Um, also from Lebanon, team Lebanon, by the way, two gold medals at this junior world championships. I mean, we're seeing nations from all over the place starting to emerge, but Lebanon in the one twenties, ETN totaled 926. That would have won him the 2018 2019 world championships and in 2021 927.51 by muskayev in russia that's one and a half kilos more than etn i mean already he'd be winning open world championships if we compare to yesteryear um dennis cornelius won in 2018 he wasn't he wasn't going to take dennis in his prime but it's a it's pretty remarkable performance by Lebanon's Etienne in the 120 juniors and Timor looking at the 120 pluses. Timor from Georgia putting up 1,008 kilo total. That would have won him the 2019 World Championships. If you remember, that's when Ray Williams bond, bombed and Jezza won it. But he doesn't just need Ray to bomb. In 2017, he would have took bronze. In 2018, he would have took silver in the open. Timor, also one of these fast-rising stars, and that would be just some outliers in the men's division. Timor coming from Georgia, Etienne coming from Lebanon, Hamza coming from Austria. And these are not known powerlifting nations. Rory, what do you think? What are we looking at here, these people emerging from those nations? We'll talk about the women in a sec. I think some of these performances are absolutely insane. Like we're talking about Hamza coming sort of approximately second, third, maybe as late as sixth, depending on, you know, uh, exactly which year we're talking about. He's literally half the age of some of the other people who are showing up, right? Like some of the some of the men he would be competing against have been lifting longer than he's been alive. Um, you know, it's not even his last year as a sub-junior. He's still got ad league. Was a one more year, one more year as a sub junior, and then into the juniors. Um, I would really like to see him tightening up on that attempt selection, like six for nine. When you're seventy kilos ahead, the next closest person is probably fine. If you want to go head to head with somebody like Wes Becky or Bryce Lewis, probably not going to cut it anymore. Um, but let's get a seventeen. Like, it's amazing. Um, I just, I just hope when we see people like this, that they do actually graduate into the juniors, that they do stick with it, that they say relatively uninjured, all of those things, because we, we, we don't always see that, right. Particularly with the sub juniors, they don't always make it through to the opens. Right. 
Yeah, and Hamza, if we um, I'm gonna pull up this. We're talking about the attempt selection here, and um, I do want to pull this up here because it also does give it a bit of an indication. He he was lifting relatively unopposed, so he doesn't really have to worry about too much in terms of he can go all out. Essentially, is what we're saying. He's not risking anything, and he knew that. So you got to give him that. I'm sure if he was lifting in in heavy opposition, so. As I pull, I got his, uh, here's the sub junior right here. So yeah, um, his third squat, it was on depth three ten point five, And we're talking right on that line right there alone. He got credited with three Oh one. And had he got that three ten point five, which was a depth call, a relatively close depth call. We're talking nine and a half kilos more already onto his total. So from 836.5, add nine and a half kilos onto that total already. And then on his uh, third deadlift, he went from 330.5 kilos to 357.5, which is a monstrous jump. So if we give him nine and a half kilos because he goes a stitch deeper, and then we give him, we cut that final massive jump on deadlift, which he didn't need, but he's, I mean, he's, he's fighting against himself right now. So at this point you let the kid load up. Maybe he's got certain numbers as round numbers. He wants to hit. So he's not risking anything. I I get it. But let's say instead of 357.5, he's in the three forties somewhere. We could be possibly adding on what 15 kilos onto his total. He already had 836.5. You understand what I'm saying? This is, this is insane. And to the point of, um, yeah, Team Austria and Hamza knew. All right, I'm, I'm, no, nobody's catching me. So if I want to load, you know, let him load. Now's the time to do it. Um, when he comes into the European Championship, we'll see, we'll see. But to your point, you're 100 right. I do wonder, what is the conversion rate into the open, and what does the open look like when they convert into the open? If you're an all star like Hamza, though. You know, he's a sub junior, but he's already competitive, you know, to a large extent in the juniors. And then the open, we're talking as a 105, you're going to need to be into the 900 kilo range. But you add those 15 kilos and he's around in the 850s. It's not a far stretch already at 17. It's it's not, but he does have to still want to do it by the time he gets into, right. the, into the opens. And like, this is his first world championship. Um, I, I can't see any record of him doing like a Euros or anything in the past. Um, like this is, as far as I can tell, like powerlifting is a relatively new thing for him, which is also insane. Imagine totaling 836 in like your first few years of competing, right? Um, but who knows, five years from now, six years from now, does he still want to do this? Does he still want to be in the gym doing the things that you need to do to turn a 301 kilo squat into a 330 kilo squat? Mm. You know, those are good questions. And um, so let's get into the women's and then it'll give the the segue I'm looking for. And then obviously we tar- start talking into powerhouse nations and as a whole, how the nations look. But if we look into the women's standouts um, in the 52s, I mean, my God, Joya from Lebanon as well. And Cami from France, Joya hit a 428.5. Cami hit a 425.5. Now, if you're wondering, in 2021, Noemi Alibert won with 430. 
and both would have been a, able to, I mean, they're right there with the 430 with the different temp selection, who knows, but silver medal that year was 417.5. So both of these ladies in 2021 would have been collecting a silver medal. Um, I mean, obviously not both if they both went at the same time, but if you said one or the other, and even as recent as 2022, 438 also Noemi Alibert won it in 423.5 was a silver medal. And so again, both of these ladies would have been over that. And that's 2022 in South Africa. How quickly these juniors are progressing. I mean, this is what I was telling Cammy, um, talking to her in DMs. You know, I met her a few times at World Championships and Silent Work, and I'm like, holy smokes, you did great. And she's like, ah, things you know uh it's my last year as a junior now i'm going into the opening i'm going in i lost my junior title i'm like cammy you're already competitive in the open <laughs> i mean you're fine i don't know if you take a look around a little bit you know this is your last junior year next year you you doesn't take a heck of a lot of progress for you to be you're going to be right up in the mix now the 52s i get it are absolute killers in the open and they're not exactly standing still either but yeah crazy Crazy numbers there. Smith Eugenie in the 69 kilo class, 527.5. In 2022, 530 by Chandler Babb won it. 524.5 was silver. In 2021, 535 won, 532.5 silver, 512.5 was bronze. So again, Samantha Eugenie, immediately competitive in the 69 kilo class as well as, as she's moving into that direction. Um, and if you're wondering, there are other juniors who are already competing in the open. Francis Jadjakup, who took a silver medal and was number one, 57 overall in the open as recent as Sheffield, um, is still a junior and Turbo Tiff. We forget she's been in the open for so long, three-time open world champion. She's still to this day a junior. Both of those French ladies, um, you know, all have already progressed into the open and are doing what they're doing. What are we thinking here? As we take a look at this, and this will be a bit of a segue as well to peek into the nations. Is this an indication of powerhouse nations emerging? I want to say that. France, particularly on the women's side, but I want to say that France is the best powerlifting country in the world right now. And I think we can look at that from a few different perspectives. <laughs> you want to say <laughs> something? Like, Go for it. Dude, what do you want to say? God. All right. All right. You want to do, do, you, do you want me to walk you through that? Let's you you walk me through it in the listeners. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm gonna start by looking at the team points from this year and a couple of previous years. And then I want to jump into a couple of records after that. So uh, this year, uh, I'm, I'm actually not going to look at the junior, uh, sorry, the sub-junior team points, just because the sub-junior is a little bit hit and miss. There's often sort of uh, travel implications. Often these people are traveling with parents and like it's like it's, it's, it's just like a little bit of a slightly different situation. So I'm, I'm just going to focus on the juniors for now. Okay. 2023 junior woman, first overall team points, France. 2022, junior woman, first overall team points, France. 2021, junior woman, third overall, France. Uh, and then uh, back to 2019, 
17th place. Um, so quite far behind. There's been a real uh, surge of, of French lifting, which we Huge know about, surge. which we know about, right? We talk about this right. all the time. Right. Um, and then, of course, in the open as well, open woman, uh, the, the the French woman, 50 team points, second, just behind USA, who also had 50 points, tie break on the uh, good lift points. A little controversial, but um, yeah, so sec- second in the open woman for the, for the French team. But... I want to jump into the into some world records as well. So let's start with uh, in the bench press, the uh, junior classic world bench press record. Uh, one is held by a French lifter. Tiff Chapon holds the forty seven kilo bench press record in the juniors. Deadlifts, three of them are held by French lifters. We've got Jar Jacob, uh, Samantha Eugenie, Clara Peyro, um in fifty seven, sixty three, sixty nine. So three out of the nine deadlift world records held by French woman. This is where it gets really wild. Five out of the eight, uh, the 43 kilo record is a standard, so I'm not going to count that one. Five out of the eight squat world records are held by French woman. Tiffany Chapon at 47. Tiffany Chapon again at 52. Ja Jacob at 57. Ludovin Delos at 63. And then Andorina Bouchot at 69. Five out of the eight junior squat world records are held by French women. And none of them are stale, right? Like these are all records that were either set this year. Uh, sorry, they were all set. No, nope, I lied. One of them was set last year. So like these are all records that have been set recently by French women. Uh, and then jumping into the totals as well. We've got Tiffany, Tiffany Chapon holding the, world, the total world record at 47. Uh, Judd Jacob holding at 57 and uh, Clara Perro holding it at 69. So three out of the nine total world records also held by French women. Is that the most for juniors? When we're talking about juniors right now, is that the most out of any nation? Or It is by far the most. Uh, Italy has two. Uh, the United States also has two. And Lebanon has one now as well with uh, Joya. So you're talking about the open world records, not like... Sorry, that was that was the juniors. We can talk about the opens as well. Uh, I've got the opens here also. Sorry, I, I meant total. I meant to say total. You're ta- you were talking about the total. That was the right. totals. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the open. Let's talk like friggin'. Okay. F- okay. First off, they got the number one junior team based off of head-to-head competition at the World Juniors. Yep. And they got all the records. So historically speaking. If we're just going to look back, they got the records as well to prove it. Let's take a look at the open. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with the bench again. It's the, I guess, France's weakness, I guess, the bench press. Um, because again, they've only got one world record in the bench press for the open woman. Um, again, Tiffany Chapon at 47 kilos. In the deadlift, they have two. Jar Jacob, Leah Beauvoir at uh, 57 and 63. And again, in the squad, the open French women have four out of the eight squat world records. The French women are the best squatters in the world, no question. Tiffany Chapon at 47, Naomi Albert at 52, and Leah at both 63 and 69 kilos. Uh, bring me to the totals. But for, we'll touch base on that in a second. Yeah, well, okay. let's let's talk about this. Like, talk, let's talk about the totals. Okay. There are there are three countries that have two total world records each. So United States holds two, New Zealand holds two, France 
also holds too. So France holds 25% of the total world records for the open woman. Tiffany Chapon, 47 kilos again, and Leah at 69 kilos. Hmm. So they got the majority of the juniors tied for first in the in the open uh, totals. They won junior worlds and tied in the open, but got second with a tiebreaker on IPF uh, good lift points. That's right. The other thing that I'll add to this, and this is maybe a comparison that we can make to the men's records, is that all of the women's records, sorry, not all of the women's records, most of the women's records are very fresh, right? So of the total world records that we're talking about, that we're comparing about, all but one of them were set in 2023. And the only one that was set in 2022 was set in December last year. So like even that was less than 12 months ago. So these records are actively progressing every single year still. And so was your statement France is the number one nation in the women's or men's as well? My statement was in the women's. I do think they're doing very well in the men's as well, but I'm I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit on whether they're actually the best men's country. It's Listen, I'll tell you what. It's obviously going to be between France and USA. And the rivalry is deep and super thick. I mean, it gets no closer than... It, it, like, if you're wondering, to actually break this down at the World Championships, if you look at it, not only did they both... They both equaled 50 points. Both of them had both nations... Two golds, both nations, two silvers, both nations had a bronze. It's the exact same medals won at the world championship. 100%. The difference would have been is, is not would have been, but is the good lift points, which is, I mean, somebody weighed a little less in terms of the weigh-ins. Like we're talking, this is super close. Um, and then so the open super close. In the women's junior class, if you're doing, if you're wondering, because this debate is obviously between overall and powerlifting, and that's your statement, Rory, overall and powerlifting period, the French women, if the open is super duper close and it's between USA and France, the juniors is not, it would seem, whereas Team USA is in fifth and Team France is in first, and Team USA had 28 points, and Team France had 54 points, which is stark contrast to the Open. Now, yep. we'll say right now, Team USA, uh, or U.S. powerlifting period, is split. We're only talking what we have in front of us that are going to the IPF World Championships. If there's juniors in the USAPL that would have done better, I mean, they even have different weight classes, so we're really speculating. We'll have to put a pin in that one. You can't really entertain it when they even have different weight classes now. And then on top of that, send them to the other side of the world with IPF judging. Things do change a little bit in head-to-head competition like this. But with what we have in front of us, under the IPF banner, if you collectively are saying, if I'm collectively putting in juniors and open, based off of that, I think I think you got a valid point. <laughs> I think. I, so mean, I think 
on the on the woman's side in particular, France is very, very dominant. They're roughly tied in the opens. France is very, very dominant in the juniors. And then when we flick over to the men's side, it is it's much harder to call. And so given that it's much harder to call, like I'm looking at the United States and I'm looking at Anna and I'm looking at France, like uh, United States did get a lot more team points in the open men this year than France did. Um, but it wasn't the landslide victory that the French woman had. So like if we have to pick one country of all of that together, I think I'm saying France. For if you combined men and women together, who do you think men, is dominant? Men, woman, open, junior. I'm going to leave sub-juniors out of this uh, just because right. of the reasons I, I just kind of mentioned before. But yeah, men and women, junior and open. I'm saying France. Really? Wait. See, here's the thing. Okay. So for crunching numbers, and, and let me take a case for Team USA. Team USA in the open men um, got 57 points. Team France, 39. That's a decent spread in the open. Um, I mean, France, obviously, they got a gold. Yeah, they got a, a couple sevens in there, which would be, yeah, that's off podium. Fourth. Yeah, yeah, that's a fourth place finish. Um, and USA's got four gold in there and a silver. I mean, that's, in terms of the men's open, they're still extremely dominant. This is what helps out your, and again, you're clumping in the women's as well. This is what helps your argument is in the juniors. Team France took number one with 47 points. Team USA with 37 points. So there's a bit of a swing, not quite the gap that the open U.S. men had over France. Because um, even though it's number one and number two, it's 57 points of 39 points. In the juniors, it's number one's France, number three USA. The team points is 47 and 37. So, yeah, it's a it's a 10-point gap. What I will say this, there's a caveat in there. Team USA, um, Anthony McNaughton was their 105. He was a gold medal favorite, if not podium finisher. Um, obviously, can't win world titles off of, off of nominations, but definitely a strong podium finish. And I, I, like, that's not really a debate. And then... I would peg him as a gold medal favorite anyways, but proof is in the pudding. I mean, it, it, it didn't mean he was going to get it no matter what, obviously. But that could have been a huge swing for the Americans. Obviously, if you get a gold medal, that's 12 points, which would have put them over Team France. Or if you got a silver medal, that wouldn't have been enough, but it would have been a tighter. Well, well, race let's let's look at this because you you only get you only get team points for your top five finishes. So right. let's say he got gold. That's 12 points, but that also means they've already got five people who finished. So we have to bump out the lowest one of those scores. That's right. So that actually doesn't put them up 12 points to 49 points. It only puts them up seven because their lowest point was a five. So we drop the five off. We add a 12 on. Um, so that actually still only puts them to 43 points. So that would still it would put them ahead of Spain, who were second, but it still doesn't put them ahead of France. Thank you, sir. You're right. Yeah, fuck, you're right. Oh, all right. All right. Yeah, it's it's tight. It's 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 tough. You know, we're, we're, you you got to split hairs here. Team France, obviously, on the women's is extremely dominant. Very in the open, it's neck and neck. But in the juniors, they're taking it. It's certainly the indication is 
if Team France isn't number one globally without a doubt right now in the women's, I mean, if you're talking juniors plus open, it can't be really debatable right now. It's got to be Team France in terms of the women's side. And if we're looking ahead in the future, Team France is looking extremely strong because they're so dominant in the juniors. When you add the men, and and listen, just a couple of years ago, Team France was not looked upon as, as a men's division being all that competitive. I remember having Penna on here and Penna openly saying, look, we're killing it with the women's. And on the men's side, we're behind and we got to catch up. They have caught up. They, they've definitely mitigated that gap and done extremely well. In the open, though, that gold medal by Penna was absolutely critical for them in terms of, you know, breaking apart from the rest of the field and taking that, that second place standing. They really need to catch up in the open. But looking at their juniors, the junior squad is strong. These people are going to get age into the open. If you team France, it's looking like the wave is going to continue. People have been asking, is this wave a short wave? Is it, is it not going to last? What's your impression? I, I think that this wave has been going long enough now that it may be self-sustaining, right? So you have a little bump in some countries occasionally. Like we can look and say this year, we can look and we can say, hey, look, Lebanon performed really, really well this year, right? They got two gold medals. I didn't see that coming. I don't know if you saw that coming. But I don't think I can look at that and be like, yeah, two gold medals. Like they had two, two really standout performances. That's going to continue next year, right? That's only two people still. It's it's a bit of a one-off. So like the first time France did really well, the first time France had an open world champion, I was like, yeah, okay. Like this is cool. This is a good start, but it's been going now. It, that surge kind of started around about the beginning of COVID. So let's say 2020, 2021, 2022, we're now into 2023. This is the fourth year of this wave, right? And at a certain point, it starts to become self-fulfilling, right? We've had French sub-juniors come through the juniors now competing in the open. We've got French people who started in the French juniors, like when they first became juniors, now competitive in the opens. We've got new French lifters coming in, and particularly into the juniors, but also domestically within France, um, who are also very good and are not making it to international meets because they have to beat all of these people that we're talking about to get to international meets as well, right? So it's not just that there's a good starting lineup in France now. There's also good people on the bench waiting to take those spots if they become available in the future. How did, how did we get here? How did this... First off, we're going to get into Italy and um spain and start tracking some of that as well and look at the numbers and if that's projecting for them but how did we get here for france because it seems like pre-covid 2019 17th place is crazy for the women when we know what they are now and then and that was 2019 now that was the beginning if you remember leah bavoa noemi alabert just hit the scene both of them podiumed, and that's the year Penna told me there's a wave coming. COVID hits. We see training. We know something's coming. There's bubbling, but we we don't see it, see it. And then when we get out of COVID, this wave really starts crashing into the shoreline. 
especially on the women's side in Holy Smokes. How did we get here, though? How did this happen? Is it replicable? Can this can this be duplicated by other nations? Do we know? I mean, there's some stuff that I can look at. And I could be like, yeah, that's definitely a contributing factor. But I can't make those things add up to the scale that we see, right? So I'll, I'll tell you about the things that I can see that I'm like, yeah, that's definitely a contributing factor. So one of them is that a lot of literature about powerlifting, so information about powerlifting training, uh, podcasts about powerlifting, all of the media that goes around the outside of the actual competitions, the vast majority of that is published in English. And uh, so one of the contributing things that sort of helped spur this on was French lifters and French coaches starting to take English information and either translate it into French and make it available for people in France or simply learn that information themselves in English and start applying it domestically in France. So I think that's a contributing factor that I don't think we can underlook because that sort of, I guess, equality of access of information really took a big step in about 2019, um, particularly for France. The other thing, and this is the thing that I think is quite hard to replicate, is that Panna, and I didn't appreciate this until I attended the silent worker meet in person, Panna has insane star power in France. Like, I, I don't know how to say it except that after he competed at Silent Worker, there was a line of people that went all the way across the warm-up room, curled around the outside of the platform and down the edge of the gym of people waiting to talk to him or take a photo with him. And Please. like <laughs> people were sta- people stood in line for like over an hour just to take a photo with him. Like it's, sense. it's people don't get it. They I try fuck me. How many times I say this? you don't understand until you go to France. The guy is like a freaking star. He's like a rock star. It's more, and it's more than being an open world champion, right? Because like, obviously everybody loves Leah. Um, Leah is amazing. Everybody loves Tiff. Tiff is amazing. People don't stand in line for two hours to take a photo with Tiff, but they do with Panna. Um, and like, I, I don't know how to measure that. I don't know how to replicate that, but you can't tell me that people who are like that kind of star power and that kind of draw isn't helping bring people into the sport who maybe were on the periphery before, or maybe wouldn't have discovered it before, or maybe just like wouldn't have cared enough to, to really participate and get into it. Yeah. He's like their Russell or style where you yes. get a guy like that. Yes. You need you. If a nation gets a guy like that, you're off to the races. You're laughing and, and they embrace it. I told, I told like Penna gave a huge speech, hundreds of people that silent worker. He grabbed the microphone and gave a speech and he had them roaring, man. It's in French and I'm picking up pieces of it, but he knows how to work a mic and do public speaking. And it's, it's the wildest. He leans into that kind of thing. That's not some powerlifters aren't doing stuff like that. Toss on the mic and just off the cuff start. And they're like, we need you to buy some time. They're crunching numbers. And he kept going. He's like, okay, cool. And he just kept going and had them laughing at points and had them like, he knows, man, you need, you get somebody with that kind of star power. Yeah, man. If you showed up just to check it out, you're going to make, this is incredible. I'm going to keep going. This is, this is the wildest. You, I remember you asking me, 
you're like Hulk Penna. Uh, exact same thing. And we were like Turbo Tiff Lee, a phenomenal lifter, has huge following. And I'm like, my friend, we were in a Burger King or a bur- the version of Malta's version of a burger joint. I forget which one it was after Penna had won the worlds. And at one point, there was like 20 of us in there. Penna stood up in this burger joint at 1.30 in the morning and gave a fucking speech <laughs> and had people clapping. And at points, people got misty-eyed when he got... It was crazy. And this is a burger joint at 1.30 in the morning. And I go, that's why. You want to talk about the ability to work a room? <laughs> it's crazy. You know, not, that's there, There's something different when you get a guy like that. So, and then, Oh, he's a two time world champion in a crazy competitive class now bodied up. And he surrounds himself with people like turbo tiff, Leah, and all, you know, these major stars as well. It's a perfect storm, right? And, and he's from a hot. And, and that becomes self-fulfilling as well. Right. Because you have a star, you have people who are good. You draw more people into the sport, the bigger your base of people who are in the sport are, the more people who are outliers, the more people who can help make it happen more mm. start to emerge from the woodwork, right? And at a certain point, it becomes a flywheel that can keep itself going. And so, like, at some point, Panet is not going to be that guy for France anymore. I hope it's a long time in the future because I think it's fantastic. Um, but I, I think the wave has been going long enough and the pool of talent is big enough now that even though he helped start it and he helps that get it going... He isn't the one keeping it going anymore. I think it's keeping itself going now. Hmm. That's an interesting point. And that's what you need as a nation. You could have one person emerge um, and and surround themselves with people. But eventually, yeah, this thing's got to be self-sustaining. Now let's talk about some other nations then. Because we're seeing some some other European nations rise. And yeah, we're going to talk about Singapore in a second as well. But Italy and Spain have started to merge. If we look at Italy, Team Italy in the men's side. Um, so first off, well, let's go to the women's side, actually. Team Italy in the women's side, 2023 junior women, number two. 2022 junior women, number two. 2021 junior women, number one. Now, Team Italy, so a, a very strong for years consistently on the women's side in the junior squad for team Italy, ready to start emerging and Italy in the open number five. Now the, there's some caveats in there. Team Italy massive with Corolla Gara. Um, you got Chiara Bernardi, Sarah Rinaldi. You've got like, you've got some quality lifters there. Uh, the 47 Marta's coming up. Scuderi, who's a junior, you a world champion. And she'll eventually be coming into the open. Team Italy looks like on the open and they got a massive star with Gara, but overall as a team to be number five, considering how consistent they've been in the juniors, slightly underperforming, I would think, are they ready to emerge? What might help tip them over? Because we're seeing consistency in the junior class like France was leading into their wave. What's the difference here? Do you think that's holding them back from the open. When you compare Italy and France in terms of the progress, what's the difference there? And can they make that leap? Do you think like France has? So I I think you're right. Like they're starting to show that depth and consistency in the juniors that we do see in France 
maybe not quite to the same extent, but like nobody's looking at the Italian junior team and being like, yeah, that's not a not a good team, right? Like the the Italian junior team, very, very good. I don't know why they're not converting into the opens in the same way that the French team are. But if they can figure out what that is, is it is it that they're not sending the best lifters into the opens? Is it that their juniors are not graduating into the opens and remaining competitive and remaining uh, inspired and and ready to keep lifting? Um, I, I don't know what that is, but if they can figure out what that jump is, I think we're going to see them start becoming very, very competitive in the opens very quickly. And one of these notes, and we've talked about this offline, we can talk about it a bit here as well, because this is a serious discussion happening in powerlifting as well. Some of these French stars, Leah, Noemi Alibur, Penna, came in into the Open and became stars in the Open, not in the juniors. Italy's Corolla Gara came in into the Open as an Open World Champion. Um, is the June in now, now again, France, Turbo Tiff, Jad Jacob, they got stars coming out. They're they're literally junior lifters. Turbo Tiff went straight into the open. Jad Jacob won an open world uh, junior world title first. I'm not saying juniors are not the minor leagues to look for for scouting, right? If we're looking at other other sports, baseball, football, basketball, whatever, if it's the college level, minor league, whatever you want to call it. But is it that way for powerlifting or is it a piece of the puzzle but you also need people to start converting already at 25 26 because burnout because keeping the enthusiasm because if is there other factors you think because france had stars coming from juniors and open double whereas italy to an extent seems junior loaded and gara in the open and and probably a couple others but Otherwise, they're, they're leaning on the young. I think I think the difference with powerlifting is that powerlifting is, on the global scale of things, a very immature sport. Mm. And so that means that if we're talking about people who are outliers, right? Like we're talking about the people who are 99th plus percentile. We're talking about people who are who have the potential to be setting world records in the opens. And let's be honest, not everybody has that potential, right? Some people are just built different. And if you're not one of those people, you're probably never going to break an open deadlift world record, right? Um, but because powerlifting is so relatively immature, that pool is so relatively small. And so I think what we see sometimes is that it's a little bit, we find people who are a little bit more of an outlier. And so because they are a bit of an outlier, the pool is relatively small. They can get away with having less of a training history and less of a uh, less of a background in the sport to be able to take them very far. Whereas if you take a sport that is very, very big globally, let's pick the biggest sport in the world. Let's say soccer, football, whatever you decide to call it. If you want to be really good at soccer, right? If you want to go pro, if you want to get uh, like seven figure contracts playing soccer, you probably need both of that genetic component and also to have been training for a really long time because everybody else who's competing for those contracts also has that genetic component and also has been training for a really, really long time. But that's because tens of millions of people play soccer every single day. Mm. 
tens of millions of people don't play powerlifting every single day. And if they did, I think what we would see is that if you want to be competitive in the open, if you want to be breaking open world records, probably you would need to have been lifting for much longer, potentially starting as a teenager and then like lifting into your late 20s or early 30s if you want to be that that guy. So I, I think that's why we sometimes see people in powerlifting seemingly come out of nowhere and crash straight into the opens and start making big waves because of the immaturity of the sport, because of the relatively small pool of lifters that we're drawing from. And I mean, that's interesting and it's true. I mean, obviously with the bigger talent pool, it's harder to rise to the top of a talent pool when there's so many more people there. And in a smaller talent pool, you're an outlier. In your weight class, you might be the only outlier. Smaller talent pool. In a massive talent pool, you're an outlier. Well, good for you. There's probably 12 others. There's so many people. That's right. So in powerlifting, maybe you only need to be three or four standard deviations from the mean to be those real freaky outliers. In soccer, maybe you need to be five or six standard deviations, or you need to be four standard deviations and have 20,000 hours of practice to back it up. Mm. So in your estimation, then, it's not so much, because I've had this conversation as well with friends in the DMs and calls, because people have mixed feelings sometimes when it comes to juniors. They think, ah, you get burnt out. Um, by the time you get to the open, you're not, you don't feel like pursuing, et cetera. And should we shake things up with how the juniors are are laid out or how they're done? But you Look, would maybe, say it's maybe. not really okay. Because do you think we do, or do you think it's not so much that it's more, it could be talent pool size. Whereas due to talent pool in, in your junior, it's a protected class. If you're an an excellent junior, you're going you're going straight into the open right away. Turbo Tiff, Jack Jacko, they're already in the open and doing phenomenal. And, and and there's more, but otherwise you're in a protected class. So the talent pool plus a protected class, it makes sense. You might be excelling, and then as you age in, it's not so much burnout as much as now you're in a much bigger talent pool, and it's a talent pool thing. And the outlier, you're an outlier in a protected size talent pool. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that either. It gives you time to develop, but it doesn't mean you're automatically going to develop. Other sports get this too. You have junior stars, college stars go into the NFL. They don't make it. It doesn't mean you scrap college football. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but there are some people who are saying, do we have to do something with the juniors to, to help it a better transition? What are your thoughts on these? I, I think there are some things that we probably can do with the juniors that are going to help. Um, so I think one of the things that we talk about a lot with junior lifters is burnout, right? And it's totally appropriate that the things that you want out of life change as you grow as a person, right? Like that's a totally normal and, and even, even a really good thing. Um, and so that does mean that as you go through these really formative and transformative periods of your life, those are the times that you mostly change what you want, right? So let's think about the people who are in the junior talent pool. Um, I'll get to sub-juniors in a second. Uh, So this is people between 19 and 23 years old. What is happening in a 19-year-old's life a lot of the time? So a lot of the time, particularly in Western countries, they're going to be first moving out of home when they're sort of about 18 or 19, maybe 17 to 19. 
they might be moving away, they might be going to university, they're starting to study, they're starting to think about things like careers, uh, maybe they're being exposed to uh, new cultures or new ideas in a way that they haven't been when they were a child, because like they grew up in wherever they grew up, they grew they lived with their family this whole time, right? So this is a really transformative part of your life. And so it's entirely appropriate that you go through this transformative part of your life and you go, I don't think powerlifting is what I want to do with my time anymore. And like, that's totally cool. Separate to that, not totally cool. Coaches pushing these people to the point that they hate training. Um, that's a thing that we should probably be discouraging. And if you coach juniors, that's something you need to be really cognizant of, right? Like these are people with wants and needs and desires and preferences and all of those things. And you need to make it so that they like what they're doing, at least at least to some extent. And some parts of powerlifting training are pretty boring, I will say. Um, nobody wants to go to the gym and do eight sets of five squats or whatever. Okay, maybe some people do, but it's probably not the most thrilling thing you could do with your time, right? Um, and so to an extent, if you're coaching these people, you need to be really aware of the fact that if you want them to have a long career, longevity is not just about longevity of your body and your joints and those things, which is important but also longevity of enjoyment and longevity of getting something like, like some sort of satisfaction out of doing that. Some people can go through, do the boring thing every single day and not really care, but not everyone can. And if we don't want to burn them out, we need to be aware of that. You, you touched up on a good point here. Do a lot of other sports deal with this anyways, and it's just natural part and you don't need to make any major changes. Because some people are like, what do we do? What, what kind of major change do we have to do to the sport? Do we, you know, all shaken up like from weight classes to whatever, trying to change point systems to, I don't know, you hear all types of people like this is a major problem we need to shift. However, you could also say, no, in every single sport, you know, baseball, soccer, how many people you might work with in your day job. And someone's like, I used to play baseball. I used to play football. I used to play hockey. I used to play whatever when I was younger. And then I stopped and that's fine. You don't change kids sports. You don't change. Well, we don't keep score until you're a professional athlete. No, you need to keep score. It's okay. And some people will stick to powerlifting, even though they never become competitive. That would be the equivalent of beer league insert yep. baseball, soccer, yep. hockey, whatever. And, yep. and it's just natural. And it's not something you actually have to change. You, it's a good thing powerlifting is mentioned along all those big sports I just said. Like you said, football, soccer. I played soccer when I was a kid. Don't play it no more. It's nothing they did right or wrong. I just moved on. That's yeah, okay I, if powerlifting's among those. That's there's like there's nothing wrong with soccer as a sport, but if when you're 25 you don't want to play with the same passion and the same time commitment as you did when you were 16, like that's not wrong with soccer. That's you just want a different thing from your life at the moment. And that's that's okay. Um, I do want to touch on the sub-juniors briefly. Um, and well, before we do, I, let me say one thing before we for change it. subjects, and then we'll jump in there. Um, I will say, if as we get bigger, if as, as we stay on the subject of like compared to other sports, you stop playing soccer, you stop playing baseball as a kid, you move on, your passions change, maybe you just don't want to go through the grind. But that's when, because you at one point did have it, you might watch. And we're going to start watch. having, we're going to yep. start having people watching powerlifting who aren't powerlifters, but they're gym goers. So I no longer 
grind it out, but I still go to the gym, all, all SBD, but I'm not going to do the, you know, the crazy volume and blah, 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 but I'm still a gym guy and I'll fucking watch world. I'll watch Sheffield. And that mm-hmm. as a sport is where it's, Hey, get big, bring people in when they're young. And when they move on in life competitively and don't graduate from the juniors, they still, you still got them. Because they used to, and it's still there. And if they hear, oh, did you hear about that 17-year-old from Austria? 17, Hamza? Freaking, and you hear, he's like, oh, my God, I got to watch this next competition. So it's not all bad. You're not necessarily converting them in, as athletes, but you might keep them in other ways. And I just want to throw They a, become fans, right? And that's right. and that means, and that's in part where money comes from for the sport as well, right? Like 100%. when you're a fan of the sport, you're like, man, I want a, uh, I want a replica Team USA jacket with Delaney Wallace's name on it because he's my favorite 83, right? Like, and that's where the money comes from. You're like, I want to, I don't play anymore. I don't lift anymore. But man, I want to go to Sheffield because that is lit in the same way that people like I don't play soccer anymore. But the Football World Cup was in Australia last month. And a lot of people went to that who don't play soccer anymore. Right. Yeah, 100 percent. This is how if you ever had an interest, we could keep you. And it's it's not as we get bigger, like previous generations, powerlifting was so small. That wasn't going to be the case. You weren't going to even hear about people. We didn't have stars you were going to hear about and care about the background stories or nothing. You came and went and that was the end of it. But now if you come and you're going to lift alongside certain people and those people graduate from juniors into the open and they're, they're whooping ass, you moved on in life, but you'll keep one foot in the door possibly. Not all of you. The conversion rate's not going to be 100%. I get it. But if we keep every single year, we keep some of them. We keep some of them. Some people have said, we'll never have an audience that isn't a power lifter themselves. I pose to you because I go to a gym. I know a lot of people who do SBD, call them wannabe powerlifters, call them on the fringe, but they're not competitive powerlifters, but they know who powerlifters are. They follow them yep. on Instagram and they follow them online and they would be the ones that they're why your Instagram followings are swollen bigger than the active powerlifting list. Bigger yep. than how many active powerlifters we have. You have people with followings. That brings money into the sport. That's why some of these people make a living off of powerlifting now because they've crossed over into general public, not general public in terms of walking down the street, but general public in terms of you go to a gym membership, USBD, and you're keeping one foot in the door that way. It's possible. It's possible for powerlifting to have a viewing audience bigger than powerlifters. It could just be people who are into squat, bench, and deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. I And I, I think we're, we're tipping over that point now, right? Like, yes. Not everybody who watched Worlds is an active powerlifter or is the direct parent or partner of of someone who is a powerlifter. There are people in my gym who came up to me this week and were like, hey, Rory, I was watching Junior Worlds yesterday. People who have never competed before. Hey, I was watching Junior Worlds yesterday because it was just like it was on in the evening. I flipped on YouTube and the live stream was on. So I watched it and Mm. I saw this thing happen. What did you think of it? And like, I'm that uh, that fills me with warmth. I really like that. It's great for the sport. Things like Sheffield as well. It, when it starts becoming packaged in a digestible form, which is only as of late, like IPF World is getting better and better every single year. This year, super leveled up, where you could totally picture people flipping it on, but like, what's this all about? And people like White Lights and Eurosport does highlight packages where they take a three-hour session and condense it into 30 minutes or less. And you watch that, you're like, okay, I'm in. I want to see what happens when these people clash again. Now you're going to talk about, we could talk about Spain, Singapore, but you want to talk about the sub junior for a minute there. 
I want to talk really briefly about the sub juniors. So I suspect, and I say I suspect because I like I, I don't have the definitive proof of it right now, but I suspect that cutting weight when you're a teenager is probably quite bad for you long-term and for your longevity in the sport. I think that we should be encouraging particularly sub-juniors, particularly people who are still going through puberty, who are still going through these important physiological processes. Remember, sub-junior goes as young as 14. Sometimes, like we often see the sort of 17 and 18-year-olds, but it does go as young as 14. I think we shouldn't be encouraging those people to cut weight. I... That is one part of the sport that I wonder if maybe we should be changing. I don't want to see, and I'm not saying that this happens a lot, but I don't want to see people who are 15, 16, maybe 17, cutting to maintain a weight class, which is not really for them, for the sake of competitiveness while they're a sub-junior. Like, you're still growing. You're still going through puberty. Like you need those calories. You need that weight gain to be doing other important things beyond powerlifting. Um, that is something that I would like us to do something about because I, I I don't know if that is that healthy. I just don't know what that thing is right now. I have heard somebody suggest maybe we should do away with weight classes for sub juniors and just make it height classes for sub juniors. I think that that is quite tricky to actually implement. Um, oh yeah. But uh, like, I, 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 it would be a real nightmare, like logistically, but it would encourage sub juniors to not cut. So, yeah, but you yeah, could also, I, I don't know, 200 pound dude going against a guy who's 135. <laughs> 135's like, yep, yep. you're pushing me out of my sport. You, and because they're sub juniors, like someone could qualify for, for worlds in a height class and go through a growth spurt and not be in that height class anymore by the time worlds rolls around. Right. Um, so, like, it would, it, I, I don't think it would work in practice, but. Definitely as a coach, I wouldn't be encouraging people in the sub-juniors to ever cut to maintain a weight class. Um, I, I think they should be eating up rather than eating down. I think that's more something you, you could do in the culture. I don't think in terms of changing rules because it'd be tough. Like like if, when I look at other sports, like you know wrestling, for instance, in high school, they got wrestling in every high school. And they always have weight classes and inevitably you're going to have high school kids cutting weight and it is what it is. You could, you could try to make it culturally like, all right, don't worry about cutting and try to, you know, have people talk about, I wouldn't suggest doing this. I wouldn't suggest in two hour, two hour weigh-ins is good. I don't know if you get even logistically too much tighter now, because people got to need a little time between weigh-ins to actually rock and roll and getting it moving, but changing the actual rules if you took yeah. away weight classes, you're literally just killing it. You're going to crush the sport for 18 and under. People aren't going to show up when you have like a 200 pound. In height classes, again, you you can have massive weight gaps between someone who's 5'5 five, five and 180 pounds and someone who's 6'180 pounds. And you're just going to end up having short, stocky people only, you know, <laughs> you're like, or like just massive people. Like, like it'll, it'll turn into, I don't know. You'll probably push away far too many people. I, I don't think that'd work either. I, I just, I, yeah, I don't, I can't foresee any ways in my head a way to change it with rules. I think it's just, we're trying to change the way we look at things a little bit. It'll be tough though, because I'm telling you, when you're in high school, you think it means everything. Yeah. Yeah, everything means yeah. so much. And it's hard to tell them, hey, it won't mean so much in a few years. Stick around. Look, I, yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, 
I don't think it's good. I do think, I think you're right. I don't think there's anything we can do about it today, um, except individually with the people that we interact with, push them to do or like nudge them towards the decisions that we think are going to be best. And obviously these are people who can make decisions for themselves. And so, you know, but I I am definitely pushing people to not cut as sub, particularly as sub juniors um, and, and rather to eat into their classes. Um, I know that is not going to be something anyone everyone could commit to right you wanted to talk about spain and singapore let's talk about spain and singapore my man i've i've pulled these up so spain on the junior men's side uh checking in at number two and spain on the open men checking in at number five now usa france sweden and great britain always powerhouses now when we're talking powerlifting, Sweden and Great Britain's been around for a long time as a powerhouse. Obviously, America as well. France, like we said, just recently in the past few years have established. And when you think about powerhouses and powerlifting at the world scene, USA, France, Sweden, Great Britain, absolutely. But there's Spain at number five in the open. And we're talking about the men and number two in the junior men. What are we looking at here? Because it wasn't long ago. Spain wasn't in that top. And I look at 2021 worlds. It was number nine. I look at 2022. I don't even see them in the top 10, but Spain is really coming on here. What do you think it is? I just had Alberto on here. Um, and he was saying, hold on one second here. A little pop up there. Sorry. Um, I just had Alberto on here from Spain and I was talking to him about what's happening over there in Spain. He said the Federation membership has swollen from roughly five to 600 to 3000. And this is, I talked to him in 2021. He was a junior world champion. Now 2021, again, as we look at the junior men's, uh, Spain came in ninth place and I mean, obviously, that's a big credit. He brought 12 points there. And he was talking about Spain's going to get bigger. Let's see what happens, et cetera. He did all these plans in terms of social media as well. Now, his social media, if you're paying attention, my man drops a video. We're talking 10 to 15,000 likes. We're not talking Penna Star Power yet, but he drops YouTube. 30,000 likes, views, whatever. Sorry, 30,000 views, tons of likes, whatever. He's He's pushing hard on social media two-time junior world champion coming out of Spain. And I asked him about it on the recent podcast. He said, because he speaks Spanish, the same way that Penn is releasing French content and there's a French market, the barrier of entry into that French market, by the way, good luck. You know, it's not like someone from US can just jump in there and take the market away from Penna. But same with Alberto here, where he said, there's so many untouched nations in South America. Mexico. How many Americans speak Spanish? Not to mention, obviously, Spain. And uh, I mean, there's so many different nations. There's so many people who talk Spanish around the world. And it was it was ungathered. So not only team Spain, but he said, as he looks at the analytics of his social media, Spanish speaking nations as a whole are now starting to take in his YouTube videos and his content and sharing it. And a little bit of what you had said earlier about in France, some of the training, um, everything that we take for granted that's already there in English in terms of, you know, ideas for programming and technical work and, and just the rules, everything, and just getting into it. So you can understand a star 
buy into their story and follow them as they go into the world championships, follow them as they go into the European championships, et cetera, not being accessible to them. Now it is in Spain more and more so anyways. And um, this is something that Alberto kind of like Penna before him said, it's one of his goals he had. This is back in 2021. And as I look back, I remember pulling up his podcast and in that podcast, he said, Spain is going to be the next Italy. And some of the challenges, or, or sorry, Spain is going to be the next France, is what I meant to say. And some of the challenges that France felt early on, he's he was trying to combat. And now we look, 2023, my man is a two-time junior world champion, completely blowing up on social media. And he's saying not only has it become Spain, but, and I don't even know if he targeted these nations, but it just kind of so happened. He's noticing all these other Spanish-speaking nations. He might be convert, helping convert, not him alone, just like Panel alone didn't convert France, okay? But as a piece of it, he might be inadvertently, and now he could do it intentionally, helping convert other Spanish-speaking nations, which will help so South America as well. Um, but, so yeah, as we look at Spain, that, number two for junior men in 2023 um, and was as far back as number nine. I see him in the top 10 in 2022 now is top five in the open for the men. And uh, what are you thinking here for Spain? Is Spain possibilities of popping? I think so. And one of the things that you didn't mention here and that I think is worth pointing out is that in 2021, where they came ninth on overall team points, there were two Spanish lifters. They did really well. They came first and second, so they got 21 total points, and that put them relatively high up the rankings. But they sent two team members. This year, they've sent... Uh, there's They've got five scoring team members. I actually haven't checked how many people in total are on their, on their team. Hang on, I can check that. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Look, they've sent 17 total people across the men and the women, um, so out of a potential of 18. So they've sent almost the full team this year from only two members two years ago. And so that gives me a lot of hope that even though they didn't win all of these classes, right? Like they've got, uh, sorry, where, what have we got here? We've got two firsts, which is great. We've got uh, an eight points. So that's a third. We've got a four points and a two points. So that's a, uh, is that a seventh and a ninth? Um, so they're not winning all of these classes, but they're sending full teams. And hmm. One of the benefits of sending a full team, even if people don't win a medal or, or these things, is they get exposed to what good lifting looks like. They get exposed to the conditions. They get exposed to the refereeing. They get exposed to other lifters and the ideas that those people are bringing. So you go to the world championships, even if you come ninth, heck, you come 30th in your class, you come away from that experience with a whole bunch of new ideas that you can take back and uh, people that you've met that you can stay in contact with and exchange ideas with. And you take that back home and you bring that with you and it enriches the rest of the country as well. So the more people that you're sending, the bigger team that you're sending, the more it continues to help your country. So I think Spain is probably a little bit behind Italy in terms of uh, like hitting that wave because they are a little bit further back. They're sending a few fewer people. They're sending... Uh, people who are not as internationally competitive, but they are looking like they're starting to hit that wave as well. As if you look at the men's, 
um, like Spain, Italy's, uh, the Italian men is nearly as competitive as the Italian women. And we'll see if that balances out. Right now, it's still the historical U.S., France, Sweden, Britain. Then we have Spain. So on the men's side, it's more of the historical powerhouses for powerlifting. But again, we've seen this with France, and I don't know if it's going to continue the trend, but if it breaks on one side, the popularity can break on the other side as well because it affects the entire nation. And to your point, not only those lifters going back to their respective gyms, but anyone who follows them on social media now, if, is even if you're middle of the packish and they follow your journey and they're Spanish speaking, looking for something, it's just more content out there for them to find somebody. You need to send people on your team to grow. If you don't send people, those social media posts don't come and nobody finds your sport. You need to be relevant on social media. It, it just is the way it is. This is what all indications would indicate in terms of these powerlifting nations. Um, and if we look at the women's in Team Italy's number five, yeah, so exactly. And, and in terms of the juniors, they're number two. And uh, junior, that's 2023, 2022, they're number two. And then 2021, Team Italy is uh, came in first. So yeah, it's it's definitely the juniors are a good scouting in terms of uh, you know scouting for talent, but also strengthening the online presence and bringing people in. And that's where when these federations start taking off and start adding, going from five hundred to six hundred members to three thousand, that's six times the membership in two years. Something's happening, you know. Something it's it's the accessibility of powerlifting in general. But also certain stars are starting to merge and it's like a casting call. Let's see what happens. I'm interested in seeing if Alberto and, and all these Spanish lifters putting out Spanish speaking content starts bringing in nations from South America because South America is something that we need turned on. We have the Pan Am championships on the side of the world. North Americans is around and we've often said we don't have enough nations to compete with the Europeans in terms of significance. I mean, we got Canada, U.S., Mexico, and a bunch of the Caribbean nations. But every two years is the Pan Ams, which includes all of South America. Now, Brazil's had some world champions, but if these other South American nations can turn into powerlifting nations, that's when the Pan Am Championships becomes relevant and possibly up there with Mexico. It's going to take a big push, and we do need that content to get spread and people to buy interest into this. A nation I want to talk to you about, Rory, that is going to be close and dear to your heart, is New Zealand's emergence in the women's side with two world champions, um, four, po four podium podiuming New Zealand coming in third at the Open World Championships this year. I mean, the junior squad, I don't even see them in the top 10, but the Open, my goodness. What is going on in New Zealand that this is happening? I think there's a few things contributing to this in New Zealand. And one of the big one is that uh, success begets success, right? Um, when you have people who are already good, it sets your standard for what you can do higher. So you show up at the gym and Evie Corrigan is, is squatting 160 kilograms at 52. And that's just like an average Thursday. If you're also a 52 kilo lifter, that's the person that you're training with every day. And that sets your standard very high as well. So like that's that's a little part of it. I think another part of it is that New Zealand has a really strong 
base of coaches, right? Like something like four New Zealand coaches were coaching at Sheffield this year. Um, not only coaching New Zealand lifters, but also coaching lifters from other nations. Um, and I think that partially contributes to it as well. What we haven't seen in New Zealand is a really large growth in the size of the federation, right? Like the size of the federation is reasonably constant. Uh, it's gone up, but like it's growing a little bit, but we haven't seen it go from 600 to 3000, like you were talking about with Spain. We've seen it go from 600 to 700 to 800. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's not a population growth thing. It's a, there's, it's the success around from having a few people who are really good, starting to bring other people into that as well. That's interesting because, yeah, France hit 10,000. Spain's at 3,000. Like in Europe, the sport is absolutely blowing up. These federations are getting, you know, they're, they're swelling. And it's 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 trending upwards. You know, it's not staying stagnant. I'm surprised to hear New Zealand. Let's see what happens. Because the, the success of E.B. Corrigan, relatively recent. You know, 2022, she wasn't winning Worlds, winning Sheffield. 2023, she won Sheffield and Worlds. And has really emerged as a star. Carlina, before 2022, she wasn't even at the World Championships, right? She missed the 2022 World Championships. 2023 shows up at Sheffield, uh, wins the Battle of 76s, shows up the World Championships, wins the World Championships. So it's relatively recent. Big Tim Monogatti, you know, cutting down to 74. Now he's in a massive showdown you know, coming in silver. So maybe it's the recency and maybe you're going to see that swelling soon, yep. hopefully, because with more members is more money coming in, et cetera. I will say New Zealand nationals is taking place right now as we're speaking. Uh, so I would be keeping an eye on that to see, or I will be keeping an eye on that. It's going to be on my second monitor most of the week while I'm working uh, to see what standout performances we see here and anything else that we start, any other real stars that we might start seeing come through. So we talked about a, a lot of different nations here, some trends we're seeing. What the heck happened with Singapore? I want to talk about this, actually. I I, I have an opinion about this. Surprise, surprising. I know Rory has an opinion about something. Um, I'm not as surprised by this as I think some people are. Uh, Singapore consistently sends a relatively small number of lifters to the world championships. And I think what we're seeing is we're starting to see a broader base of powerlifting take root in Singapore. And I'm going to say that it's kind of similar to how New Zealand was maybe six or seven years ago. They've got a few really good lifters. And then sort of behind that, there's this wall of lifters who are coming up. So obviously we've got some really, really great lifters coming through. Clinton Lee, Farana Farid, um, Alexander Ung, uh, Chloe Tung from the sub juniors, uh, like really great as well. Um, and then behind that, we've got a, a bunch of other lifters who are starting to come through. And the other thing that I think that Singapore has, which is going to end up making quite a difference in the slightly longer term, is a few really great coaches starting to come out of Singapore as well. Now, I will remind you that Singapore is a very small country. Like physically, it's very small, but like it's only got a population of a little bit over 5 million people. Compare that to the population of somewhere like France that has 70 million people, right? There's like literally 14 times more people in France. Um, and so they're never going to have the same enormous base in a, 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 as a country like France. But some of the coaches that we're starting to see 
come out uh, from Singapore. Uh, Clinton Lee again, Christoph Ang, uh, really good nutritionist starting to come out, which is interesting. Um, Sophia Go, uh, Adam Jones from RTS, uh, JJ. Uh, so like there are a bunch of lifters and a bunch of coaches. Oh, and I'll also throw out um, James Barcelo has gone to like five or six international meets in the last 12 months or the last 18 months. And so he's not a lifter, but every time he goes to one of those meets, he's making those connections. He's learning those mm. things. He's taking that information back to Singapore and sharing it with everybody else who's in the, in that country, helping run that federation and helping make the lifters there really good. So <laughs> we've talked about all of these countries, like hitting this wave of growth. And like, I would say that Singapore is like probably a little bit further behind than Italy, Spain, maybe. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Singapore starting to send more consistently lifters who do really well and seeing Singaporean lifters meddling and, you know, discipline medals and all of those sorts of things. I wonder, so I got two points I'm going to make. Now we'll bring it to a close because we don't want this to be a big, I, I got a huge drive to eat, but so we're not looking to have a big, huge podcast on this one. Although we've stretched probably longer than we said we were going to already, Rory, we always do. But two points. First one, there will be some nations that emerge kind of like Jamaica in track and field where Jamaica has 4 million people on a small island. Toronto's bigger population than that. But Jamaica every single year is killing it in terms of track and, and because they focus on it. And with powerlifting, if your nation really leans into powerlifting, you might be able to pull that off. Like, for instance, you're saying with New Zealand, not a massive federation and probably getting bypassed by some of these emerging powers. But the people who are focusing on it have a very tight program. I mean, New Zealand's got great coaches not just yourself, but even with nutrition to, I mean, there's tons of talent in New Zealand, so it can be very high quality with what they have. And they've already proven that. So we might see pockets of that. That's one point that that'll make where it'll be interesting who can emerge like that and sustain it. Very difficult to sustain that. But here's another one. As we move forward and powerlifting globally gets more and more competitive. Because more and more people in other nations start getting reached, like the Alberto effect, where he's like, well, starting putting started putting out content based in Spain. Didn't think this would happen, but I'm hitting a lot of countries, Spanish speaking, all over South America, Mexico, US. He's like, holy shit, my market is way bigger than I thought it would be. And you start turning on other nations. Sweden, Great Britain, US. France, they stay there. Spain, Italy, Singapore, New Zealand join them and other South American nations. And it instead of key powerhouse nations, what if it just gets spread out and we just see it's just all more competitive across the board? So gone are the days where US comes in, wins men's, wins women's. Thank you very much. This is the way it's going to be for the next five years. And instead, it'll be shorter dynasties wow you won two years in a row and that's fantastic but it'll be more cyclical of another nation comes then another is it's a lot tighter i wonder if we're going to get to that point maybe not right away u.s france very strong and ahead and it takes time 
But I wonder if at some point it's going to get a little closer to that as we start onboarding more nations and get stronger. I would love to see that. I like. I think that would be the best thing for powerlifting. I think it would be the best thing for the lifters. I think it would be the best thing for our viewership. I like. I I don't see a better outcome than so many people get into powerlifting and so many countries love it so much that the world championships or the or the world champions are different every year. That the uh, there's deep battles in every class every year. We don't know who's going to win anything. Right? That would be amazing especially, you know, in terms of nations, you don't want too many people coming from one nation. And it's because that nation's federation has thousands and thousands of people there. The other nations have hundreds. And it's like, well, I mean, your talent pool you're pulling from is, it's not even close. So it's kind of uninteresting to, like the storylines are a lot more the same, similar, less, you know, less different people from different cultures, different backgrounds coming to the table. It's more interesting having more people from different nations showing up. And if the other nations at the world championship are coming from federation with thousands and thousands of people joined as well, that's when you're going to start having this. We'll have to see, man. Only time will tell. And that that's what makes it more impressive if a smaller nation like New Zealand with a smaller federation has an amazing year and it's like, oh, wow, who would have saw that coming? Um, there's room. There's room for everybody's story. But um, there it is, man. We wanted to do, look, we got a little nerdy in the DMs and decided, I think we got some storylines here. I think we got some meat on the bone to do a podcast, not a recap of the juniors, but the juniors started raising questions about rising tides of certain nations, falling tides of others, um, and how this might have come and, and stars emerging out of you know peculiar places and how this all, how we got here. Um, is there any other notes you thought or you think we we hit it well, sir? That's it. I think we covered all the things we wanted to cover. There it is. So please do subscribe on whatever, pla- whatever platform you listen to. As per usual, give us high ratings. Mention us in, in your storylines. Tag us. And uh, as long as I see it, I'll repost and we'll comment back. Until next time, six-pack lap it at six up. And we are out.